1: Hey, this is Trey. Thank you for joining us for another Thursday edition, also known as the question and answer edition, also known as uh mary langston's podcast i guess that's usually what people ask me i was in connecticut uh, over the weekend i had a couple of jarring things happen to me mary langston not that you ask not that anybody asked but i'll tell you anyway okay i'm at this event sunday night this guy walks up and says you know hey nice to meet you i say i want you to meet my wife terry and he says Yes, I want to meet the real famous person from Spartanburg, South Carolina. This was somebody from Spartanburg. And then he went on to say, you know, you are much, much better known in Spartanburg than even your husband is. I think he used the word legendary, which, you know, she's modest. So she doesn't want to hear that kind of stuff. I'm not modest and I do want to hear it. But but he flipped it. (laughs) He told the person that it did no good. And then somebody else, while I was up there, asked me about you. And I, I'm i trying to think. I don't think anybody, like, asked me about me the whole time I was there. <laughs> so uh, thanks for letting me do your podcast, I guess. is That's a long way of saying thank you.
2: <laughs> well, it's your podcast, and thank you for letting me tag along. And that's sweet that somebody asked about me, and, of course, Terry. And we're glad that you're back home.
1: Yeah, well, it can't be that sweet because you you must have missed the part where I said no one asked how I was doing. Did you? We'll, miss we'll that ask part? you now.
2: How are you doing?
1: Well, I mean, it's too late now. <laughs> now, now, you practically had to beg for it. So, <laughs> I'm doing all right. It's so nice to so nice to hear your voice, and I am sure that we have great thought provoking questions because there's no shortage of good material out there.
2: We certainly do, and a lot of these today are more political, so are you ready to get started?
1: No, no. (laughs) (laughs) On we can do it anyway, yeah.
2: (laughs) Okay, well, we appreciate y'all for sending us your thoughts and your questions each week and for tuning in. We'll start with John in Indiana. He writes, what's the truth about the government shutdown? He's heard that not only some of the government closes, and after everything reopens, those workers receive full pay for time missed from work. So what's the truth? He asked.
1: Well, John, from uh, the great state of Indiana, if memory serves me correctly and it is increasingly not serving me correctly. But (laughs) I think I think the first thing that happens is employees, government employees are are deemed either essential or non-essential. And that does not mean those employees that are deemed not essential or not important or valued or needed it has nothing to do with that. But there are some employees who are legitimately deemed essential. So they have to work no matter what, <laughs> with or without pay. And so, you know, John, I, I would, you know, think military. I mean, the, the military is not like, going to not be on the ready because they're not being paid law enforcement. They got to work no matter what prosecutors, judges, air traffic controllers. If they're still government versus private, I think they are, but I may be wrong about that. But just think about those positions in systems that need to keep going regardless. So they would be deemed essential. And I remember when I guess I lived through two government shutdowns and even within our office, we had to like, which is impossible to do. You you deem one person's job portfolio essential, whereas, like, I mean, Mary Langston would have been essential because th- what she did in our office was essential. But somebody else may have been labeled non-essential, even though they were every bit as important and every bit as valued and
0: mm-hmm.
1: well-liked. So that's number one, essential versus non-essential. Ah, uh, those who work during the shutdown are going to be paid at the end of it, no matter what. Uh, those who are deemed essential and have to work um will be paid, and those who are deemed non-essential and and are not allowed to come to work will almost always also be paid. And the reason for that, of course, I mean, I, I'm sure somebody out there is saying, well, they're you know, they're getting a paid holiday or paid vacation uh, not by their own design it's not what they want um it's not their fault that the members of congress can't you know like anticipate something as eminently predictable as a date on the calendar i mean of all the things you cannot claim surprise you september the 30th you cannot claim you were surprised by it uh, mm-hmm. i literally can tell you right now years and decades in advance when september 30th is coming so I think the theory goes that, yes, these employees are sent home. They're not allowed to work. Uh, They may be working from home. I don't know. But they're going to be paid at the end. Some people are welcome to use the word vacation if they want to. That's not the way I looked at it when I was there. Here's what you really need to be wary of. Members of Congress. And it's already started. I, I, I read an article. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, it's about time for someone in Congress to think the rest of us are like knuckle-dragging idiots. And someone's going to say, I refuse to be paid during the shutdown. Like they're you know, Mother Teresa, or they're, they're, they're just so self-sacrificing. I refuse to be paid during the shutdown. Well, members of Congress are paid once a month at the end of the month. So if this shutdown is still going on on October the 30th, they're going to be paid on September the 30th for the previous month. So they've got thirty-one. They're what thirty-one days in October. I, I can't remember that song, Mary. Mm-hmm. Is that is that thirty-one? That's thirty-one right. in October. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's when members of Congress will next be paid. Let's assume that they're you know the shutdown lasts until mid-November. <laughs> they're they're going to be paid no matter what. If they really really wanted to get your attention, what they should say is I am going to donate my salary to a worthy charity if government is shut down. Not I'm going to go without pay. That is, the, that is the most self-aggrandizing thing in a line of work where there's, frankly, a lot of self-aggrandizement. I refuse to be paid during the shutdown. Well, of course you do, because you're not scheduled to be paid during the shutdown. So let me get off that high horse for just a second. Um, so members of Congress are going to get full salary period you know new paragraph. The truth I think is that the American people you know, for whatever reason, gave us divided government, but I don't think they intended it for for it to be dysfunctional government, so at the end of all of this, yet another government shutdown, government will reopen, whether it's a day, a week, a month, it will reopen with either. No or next to no changes at all. People are going to go on television. People are going to get famous. The media is going to get hysterical. And at the end of it all, nothing will change. Government will reopen. Employees will get paid and back pay. There's a psychological diagnosis for people who create emergencies and then rush in at the end and resolve the emergency, and they want people to praise them. They want to get credit. They're the ones who stage this emergency. Then they come in and avert disaster, and they want to be praised for it. And whatever that psychological diagnosis is, which I know, but I don't want to play psychiatrist. On a podcast, I know the name of it. People have been prosecuted under this psychiatric diagnosis. But that is what happens in Washington. (laughs) They want credit for averting a chaotic disaster, which they created. So on that happy inspiration filled (laughs) note, uh, I mean, you lived through shutdowns, too, didn't you, Harry Langston?
2: I did. I don't remember all that much about them. I think I kind of blocked it out, but I remember around the holidays, we were always wondering, will we go home for Christmas? Will the government shut down? I remember Christmas time, especially something happening.
1: Uh, yeah, I do too. Uh, I remember watching bowl games from my office in Washington. Although, can you keep a secret? Mm-hmm. When you're friends with the speaker, They'll kind of let you know when votes are expected and you can go home. (laughs) Particularly if you have a really short flight, um, you can go home and the speaker will let you know. Um, We anticipate votes at five o'clock tomorrow. So you got to get back. But that was definitely helpful. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of reasons to be friends with the speaker, but (laughs) knowing the calendars is one of them. But I, but, but you know, That happened a couple of times where I actually did sneak home. But what my dominant memory is everything is shut down. So there are no committee. There's no committee work. There are very few votes on the floor. There are no constituents coming to visit you. Mm -hmm. It's just dead time. The member gym may not be open. And for those that lived in their offices and used the member gym like to shower, Restaurants were closed, the ones that kind of catered to Capitol Hill, like the Capitol Hill Club. It is awful, miserable, no need for it, no reason for it. If I thought something constructive would come from it, then I would say, well, it's us weigh in balance the you know, inconvenience, the damage threatened uh, versus what you get for it. But they're not going to get anything for, from this. So, all right, we'll move on to hopefully... I have your question
2: <laughs> all right well thank you for answering that tray and thank you john for the question our next question is from pete in south carolina he writes what works in alaska doesn't work in alabama what works in new jersey doesn't work in new mexico what do you think about americans thinking that federal government regulation can be a panacea for everyone's woes when one size does not fit all
1: well pete from the great state of south carolina you Put your finger on what we call federalism. Uh, The answer to your question in short order is it's easier. Um, The reason people do it, the reason people want to federalize every issue or nationalize every issue is it's easier. I mean, if I live in a red state, but I have blue ideas, I'm never going to get my ideas implemented. I got to either move states or or I got to get Congress to do it nationally. And that is easier than me persuading my fellow citizens in a state where I am in the minority to change. And same is true if I live in a blue state, but I have red ideas. It is easier to get Congress to do it. The best example of this is actually not a legislative example at all. It's a judicial example. The Supreme Court. I can convince five lawyers in black robes, or I can convince nearly 100 million of our fellow citizens, which is easier, five or a hundred million. So the reason that federalism has kind of, you know, collapsed this states or laboratories and South Carolina can do it one way, but, you know, Alabama or Alaska or Arizona or Delaware may want to do it a different way is number one, federal money with money comes certain Uh, restrictions and requirements, and they all want federal money. So people just seem to have lost the humility to believe that just because my state is doing it, that every other state ought to do it. California is the perfect example of like immodesty. They want to ban this kind of light bulb or they want to ban this or they want to ban that. And because it's such a large state and because they buy so many of X, you know, say say they want to ban a certain type of light bulb. Well, there are a lot of people in California buying light bulbs. So the light bulb companies may say, well, we're not going to make that light bulb anymore. We're going to we're going to make the ones that all the people in California want to buy and then hope the rest of the states kind of adapt to it. It's a lack of understanding of federalism. It's a lack of confidence in federalism. It's a lack of uh, humility. It's also people valuing results over process, the process of federalism is a limited federal government. I mean, that, that's kind of what federalism is. It's a limited federal government, kind of limited to the enumerated powers. But, but if you define those powers broadly or you have a different view of the size and scope of government, then you're going to go to Congress because it's just easier to convince one body than it is to convince 50. And I will give you one example, and it'll be a controversial example. But I don't care because there's not a single person listening. I, I doubt that has spent more of his or her life on the issue of domestic violence than the guy talking. So mm-hmm. it is the example I'm going to use domestic violence is is a stain on our own beloved home state of south carolina mary langston and we need prosecutors and investigators and judges and victim advocates that are dedicated and trained and we are doing much 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 better than we were when i became the da i guess in 2000 Mm -hmm. um south carolina is is trying but we got a couple of options. We can say, you know what, Columbia, which is our capital, we need to get better on this. Or we can do what happened, which is people go to Congress and say, let's federalize domestic violence, even though I can't think of a single federal domestic violence crime. Domestic violence is almost, by definition, a state crime. But the feds are where the money is, and the feds are where things are nationalized. So we're going to come up with something called the Violence Against Women Act, and we're going to dare people to vote against it. And most of us did not vote against it. And most of us did not vote against it because we weren't sure we could convince our constituents that, yes, domestic violence should be like a top priority for the state of South Carolina. But it's a state issue and it's not a congressional or federal issue. And because we weren't confident that we could make the argument or make the argument in a persuasive way, then what you do is you nationalize it. And we have a you know Violence Against Women Act that I don't think has a single substantive criminal statute in it. It's a series of grants, and it provides money for state prosecutors. But think about that for a second. I mean, or think about another example. We have a children's advocacy center in Spartanburg. That is dependent on private donations. I would struggle to think of a more core function of government than to provide counseling and treatment and investigative resources for children who have been abused or sexually abused. I I would struggle to find a more important function of government than to protect children. Mm. But yet these children advocacy centers, which do that, are dependent upon private donations. So. Pete, in the great state of South Carolina, people tend to go to what's easiest, what's quickest, but not what is best. And what's best, I think, is for the federal government to do those things that it is supposed to do, do them with excellence, with frugality, if that's a word. And then the rest of it's up to the states. But the states have to do it because nature abhors a vacuum. So when you have these states that continue to do so poorly and fill in the blank. You can either watch them do poorly or someone is going to say, why don't we get Congress involved? And I think that that's the impetus for it. I don't know that oftentimes it's like a, I don't think the impetus is to like do away with federalism. I think the impetus is the States weren't doing it. It needs to be done. Roads are a good example. Think of all the money that comes to the States through the federal government. And with money comes requirements and restrictions and protocols. And that's how you kind of nationalize the entire country
0: that way.
2: Well, thank you so much, Trey. And thank you, Pete, for your question. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
2: Our last question today is from Tammy in Alabama. She writes, What do you think the point of debates is nowadays?
1: Well, I mean, I think the point is that there's no football on Wednesday nights. <laughs> so, I mean, what, honestly, what, what is there to watch? I mean, there's baseball, I guess. It's the last week of the regular season, I think. There's some wild card races going on, but I mean, there's no football. What's the point of debates nowadays? Um, I guess if I were to try to, like, shelve my cynicism for just a moment, it would be exposure to the candidates in small ways. You do get a chance to see how the candidates react to the moderators and one another. I mean, knowledge is power. You can learn a little bit of watching these folks really more about their personality than you can the substance. Because I'm sorry, you just cannot lay out a comprehensive plan for any issue in the amount of time these candidates have. So Mm -hmm. I'd say exposure a little bit, entertainment. I mean, there's nothing wrong with something being educational and entertaining, but entertainment's a big part of it. I was listening to some ads today advertising the debate tonight, and they played a clip from each one of the candidates in the last debate. And it would have been the most provocative thing that each of those candidates said in the last debate. Not the most inspirational, not like the most educational, the most provocative. Mm. So um, I think if we were really serious about, you know, the issues and picking the person most knowledgeable on the issues, our debates would last for hours with no notes and candidates would be forced to lay out their ideas in detail. Before I leave this point though, in a wildly unpopular secondary point I, I would make is uh, we are not without blame in this ourselves. I include me in it. You know, we don't demand the kind of debates that we would benefit from. I mean, I watched the presidential debate. I, I, I remember I was in Washington. I don't know what I was doing in Washington. It's one of the few times I've been back since I left. It was a presidential debate. I've never look. I grew up with three sisters. I'm used to being interrupted. I've never seen more interruptions in a presidential debate. It was unbelievable unbelievable and there's no consequence for that that's fine if we want to elect a leader that you know interrupts and doesn't follow the rules of the debate i mean do you really want a leader that's like not a rule follower maybe maybe folks do here's the real question i would have for you mary langston so you go and have you ever served on a jury
2: no sir i haven't
1: no you're not going to get picked i'm sorry i get
2: the letter but then it just kind of fizzles out
1: yeah, trust me, not, <laughs> they're not going to pick you for a jury. You're mm. way too honest, way too good of a person. You're not going to get picked. But mm. to serve on a jury, uh, you have to promise that you have not already made up your mind. Mm. You're going to make your decision only on what happens inside the courtroom, not newspaper articles, not you know what your neighbor told you while you were playing bridge, just what happens in the courtroom. I mean, I wonder how many people watching the debate have not made up their minds already who they're going to vote for in the primary, whether Mm -hmm. they're going to vote in the Republican or Democrat primary. And if they're going to vote in the Republican primary, which candidate they're going to vote for. I I mean, I, I wonder how small that universe of people who has not made up his or her mind is.
2: All right. Well, thank you so much for answering those questions. I do have one silly question for you, Trey. Is it okay if I ask you? Besides well, that question. I,
1: I don't know. I'm going to have to hear it first. I mean, Okay.
2: So your idea Ab- of
1: silly and my idea of silly are two entirely different things. But, but it's you, pretty
2: silly, but I'm sure oh. Abigail's probably asked you this question, but there's a question that people are asking one another right now all over and it's kind of going crazy. So the question is, and I think I know the answer well, can, is, I, can
1: I stop you right there for a second?
2: Yes, go ahead.
1: When you say people are asking one another all over. Yes. It makes me think that I must live under a rock. <laughs> because I think I, you
2: know what it is.
1: I don't I don't know what the question is.
2: <laughs> okay, well are you ready to find out?
1: Yeah, fire away.
2: Okay. How often do you think about the Roman Empire?
1: <laughs> that's a, that's a question that is like Dominating people's consciousness In the United States
2: It actually is
1: How often do I think about the Roman Empire I would probably say once a month um, Would be would be The max I thought about it a ton this time Last year because I was watching a miniseries On Rome mm-hmm. I think about Latin from time to time And when I think about Latin I think about Rome, the Roman Empire uh, the, the Ryder Cup is being played in italy this weekend so that you know would make you think actually even like parts of great britain made me think about just how vast the roman empire was and of course you're a very spiritual person um christ lived under roman rule so i'd say once a month but I just I would love to know how drunk or how high somebody had to be to come up with that question.
2: Well, it's pretty funny. They're asking it all over. I think even Dana and Bill were asked the same question, but they're finding that a lot of males think about it more often than females, which isn't super surprising. Um, but wanted to ask you that because I figured you thought about it at some point.
1: well, I do, but to to me i I would want to know. First of all, when you think of the Roman Empire, do you really have the right empire? Are you thinking <laughs> about Alexander the Great? Or are you thinking about King Nebuchadnezzar? Are you, are you really like thinking about the right empire? I mean, I would not be surprised because people know that the Roman Empire was incredibly vast and huge and powerful. And yet it failed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and I wonder if people may not say, okay, what caused that empire that was so big and powerful to fail and could that happen to the United States? But again, I would think people ask more questions and think about Taylor Swift (laughs) ten thousand times for every one time they think about the Roman Empire.
2: (laughs) Who knows? We, well,
1: how often we'll do you think about
2: it um very rarely definitely not once a month
1: you mean like you thought about it when you studied it in high school and not since
2: then <laughs> i have thought about it since then you know when things come up like you said like italy there's a tournament there or when we went to israel those kinds of things kind of jog my thoughts on it but Other than that, it doesn't really just come into my mind like it may for you or for somebody else.
1: Well, you went to Israel a little over a year ago. (laughs) You would not enjoy any part of the miniseries Rome. You would not make it through the opening credits. So (laughs) I don't I don't know. Well, did you read I, Claudius? I did. Yeah, we read that. I mean, that was Sharia's recommendation, wasn't it?
2: It was I, I we actually need to get was, another book going. We'll have to ask her.
1: I, I don't know why she was mad at us and wanted us to be like <laughs> Claudius, but but it was so, pretty I mean, long. yeah, you read that. that was interesting. That's Roman Empire, so
2: that's right. Well, I just wanted to end on that silly note, but there there's also you know the component of we can think about it and how it applies today too. So thank you you for answering my silly question.
1: Well, no, it is just a yet another reminder of how grateful I am that I am not on social media. (laughs) I don't know these TikTok challenges that, you know, half the people die that try them. I'm glad I don't know about those because I might try them. I don't know what questions are trending. I didn't know that Taylor Swift went to see Travis Kelsey play a football game until (laughs) I read it online. I just, I don't keep up with that stuff. That did
2: explode all over the place.
1: So do me a favor. If the world ends, just send me a text because I won't know about it if it's on social (laughs) media. Okay.
2: That sounds like a plan, but we're going to hope that doesn't happen.
1: Send me a thumbs down emoji. (laughs) All right. Thank y'all for Uh, wonderful questions, thought-provoking questions, and Mm -hmm. God willing, next week, there'll be some sports ones, and it won't be about a government shutdown. Although next week, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we weren't uh, talking about that, or maybe a motion to vacate the chair. It may may be something next week. But until Mm -hmm. then, Mary Langston, hope you have a great week, and y'all too.
2: Y'all have a great week, and we'll see you next Thursday.
1: Alrighty, bye-bye.